This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer. This is Farmer's Kitchen brought to you by Spinneys. It's your slice of all things food here in the UAE and beyond. We had food blogger Cruising Cravings joining us with some top recommendations. Old school Dubai from viral cream puffs to authentic biryani. Senor Sassi has launched here in the UAE as we were marking World Pasta Day. Have you tried camel milk chocolate yet? And we had Chef Giovanni speaking to us from Akira back ahead of a vegan zero-waste dinner. I'm not going to lie, he had some convincing to do and I think he might have done it. And we were getting ready for a taste of Peru this Halloween with Koya. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. She's amassed over 100,000 followers on Instagram, beloved for travel and, yes, food content. Joining us from Cruising Cravings, we've got content with us today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to tell us a little bit about you and, as I said, offer up some ideas about where to go and what to do. Can I get a bit of your origin story? How long have you been in the UAE for? Hi, Helen. Hello. It's so, it's so lovely to be on the Aww, show with yay. you. <laughs> where, so, did, where did it all begin? How long have you been here for? I've been here for 23 years. Wow. Yeah, it's been 23 years. I wasn't born here, though. I, I was living here since 2000. And how did it all start was back in COVID. Um, it's a funny thing because in COVID, a lot of people were giving birth or getting married. And then I thought that, you know what, I'm going to do <laughs> I'm, something. <laughs> I'm not doing those. <laughs> I'm not doing those, but I'm definitely giving birth to my idea that has been sitting on my mind for a while. And I was uh, living all by myself in India. I was stuck there during COVID. And uh, I used to explore around just by myself or like order in food. And that's when... Uh, it's it all started. So yeah. you have got a really loyal following, and some of your posts have had incredible numbers of views. Have you noticed Thank any you. patterns? But no, it's it's really. And as someone who creates content, I find it really interesting to think about what resonates with people. Um, what what are some of your kind of? I don't want to say most successful, but when we're looking at numbers and engagement, what have people really enjoyed over the years? Absolutely. I think that's very important as a content creator for us to kind of uh, analyze at every piece of content that we produce at what's working and what's not working. And something that I have really noticed that my audience really enjoys are the experiences that I create, um, whether it's food, whether it's travel, whether it's even lifestyle the kind of experiences that you get in Dubai mm-hmm. that people are not very much aware of, that is something that I've picked up. And I think that's also something that, uh, you know, content creators need to have their own USP in anything they produce. So, yeah, I, I think that's what people love. You're quite an adventurous type. I've seen your videos of <laughs> you traveling regionally. And I think it's great. I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of showcasing this other side of of the UAE, UAE. and often beyond, you know, your Salala yeah. videos, for example, because it's people kind of come to Dubai or think about Dubai with, you know, a, a bit of a lazy eye sometimes yes. thinking about that five star shiny. And that is there. And I love it sometimes. But that's not what most of us are experiencing or what most of us want to be exploring and, exactly. and sharing. Yeah. Um, so what have some of your favorites been over the years then? What have you really enjoyed filming and then sharing? Well, when it comes to UA, you're absolutely right. I love how UA has evolved over the years with a 
beautiful buildings and you know it just makes me think that you know Dubai has evolved so beautifully and with such a great vision mm-hmm. but i also at the same time really enjoy the fact that you know you're going to al sif and you're strolling around the old streets of dubai it really makes it really makes me think and go back to the roots of how i was born and how i was raised here so i really enjoy that part of dubai going to hatta mountains You I'm know. going tomorrow. I'm oh, amazing! <laughs> yeah, we're going camping, um, and I, and I think for me, much the same. Um, I think yeah. often the idea of I mean, go, using camping as an example, um, yeah. you know, if you're new to the UAE, this idea of like, well, where do we go and what do we pack, and you know, someone who's kind of like you holding someone's hand and saying, you know, this is what's available, this is how much it's yeah. going to cost you, and really making someone's life easier, yeah, is is really really valuable. Yeah. Um, how do you balance then? Because you recently quit your job. Yes, I have. Mabrook. <laughs> Um, six months ago to be doing this full time. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that in terms of that authenticity as a content creator? And as, as we're talking about that, you know, really giving people what they want, but also, you know, being a licensed, you know, yeah. media production company, for want of a better phrase. How do you strike that balance and where are your boundaries about paid for content? So for me, the first step was uh, after quitting my job. The first step was to realize that now my passion has turned into my bread and butter and my full time job. And the first step was to bring in discipline to my own routine so that I can grow on a consistent phase before it was more like a hobby i'm getting barter collabs and i wouldn't really seek out for paid collaborations because i was in the safety net of my job mm-hmm. the stable income but as soon as i decided that you know this is what i want to do full time i have become more respectful of my time and respectful of uh, i have started to even uh, value my own skills which i would then before give it for free now i'm like you know what there goes a lot of effort into mm-hmm. it so that's where the balance comes uh, you know with paid and barter collaborations yeah. um i'm curious you said you've been here 23 years are yes. there any restaurants that you used to go back to well back in the day that are still around today well there's this restaurant that's called hyderabadis and it makes authentic hyderabadi biryani now hyderabad is a city in india where i belong from and uh, I think that is something we carry here in Dubai because that's one place we know we get authentic biryani. Where in town are we going? Whereabouts in Dubai? It's in Sharjah. Sharjah. Yeah. Okay, we're going. We're crossing the border, Co- but, crossing. but but it's worth it. Absolutely. Um, now we had we were talking on the show last week about the most iconic dishes, the most iconic bites mm-hmm. in Dubai, and one that's on your list was on so many messages that I got, and it was lafashwama. Tell us yeah. about the OG and this is something that takes you back to your childhood I assume. Absolutely. I remember there was just one Lafa branch near where I stayed and it was like a go-to spot for all of us from school and I was really small I think I was only 15 years old and 14 15 years old and we would go there with friends and we would sit by the canal and like have shawarma and it was just a vibe and the best part is it still tastes the same. I hope the prices I bet the prices haven't even changed that much over the years. Yeah, a few dirhams here and there. Maybe a few dirhams, but it's been the same, but the taste is amazing. You're also on your OG list is the viral cream puffs yes. from where? Oh my god, that has to be from Habib Bakery. I think if you're a Dubai kid, then you have to know about Habib Bakery cream puffs and they make the 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 interesting part is they make over 40,000 cream puffs in a week. 40,000. Yes, 40,000 cream puffs and they get sold out 
and they're supposed to be fresh, so they just get sold out. Oh, no, I've got a craving. I wanted to yeah. ask you lastly about International City. You've oh, been going yes. there with your friends from uni yes. for over a decade. Where yes. are we going and what are we eating? So we're eating really authentic Chinese. And this is not the kind of Chinese you get in the malls. It's not the typical Chinese. It's very unique and it's called Intazar. And uh, the the people there, like the staff, they know us so well. And they have seen our entire college group evolve. Last time we went, one of our friends, they're pregnant. So they were, they saw us from being the first year students to now like getting married. Some are pregnant, and That's you know, really special partners have changed as well. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Get rid of the old ones, and you yeah. bring the good ones for the good food. And what Absolutely. are we eating? What what are some of the must order dishes at uh, Intazar? You have to try their noodles. Their beef noodles, they're amazing, and they also have something called cold beef, which is also raw beef, but it is so interesting. They're, they're a must-try. Intazar, International City, for yes. those noodles. Last question, where are you going this weekend? And what what are your foodie or exploration plans? This weekend, I'm going to AquaVenture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Atlanta's AquaVenture. <laughs> the weather's getting better. So I'm going there and I'm throwing a baby shower for my Aww. friends. And we're going for the OG biryani Good from Hyderabad. <laughs> Afia saying, Habib Bakery Cream Puffs, lots of childhood memories associated. Yes. Lastly, where can people find you online? To, as I said, it's, it's not just about food, although you have to say you've made me very hungry with a number of your <laughs> posts. But everything from, you know, regional travel, UAE travel, um, road trips and more. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram with the handle Cruising Cravings. And you can also find me on Instagram. And I've recently started YouTube as well. Thank you so yes. much. You've honestly given me some fantastic ideas about <laughs> there's glamping on there, the staycations. And yes, a whole lot of food as well. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. Thank you. Have a brilliant time, Aquaventure and the baby shower. And will you come back and talk about some of your other adventures in the future? Perfect. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the restaurateurs, the tastemakers, the producers, the chefs, the industry insiders, and giving you some ideas about where to go and where to spend your hard-earned dirhams this weekend. And the iconic Knightsbridge restaurant, Senor Sassi, has just opened just three weeks ago at St. Regis Gardens. It's that really fantastic location on the rooftop in Akil Mall. And I think it's really going to come into its own over the next few weeks when we can spend some more time outside. Now, Senor Sassi, famed in London, big, beautiful portions of Italian cuisine, but also some VIP clientele as well. They've had the likes of... Lionel Richie, Rihanna through the door. So what can we expect from Dubai? Damiano is with us from Signor Sassi. Thank you for stealing yourself away from the restaurant on a Friday. How are you, sir? Oh, great. Buongiorno. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Who better talk to about pasta than you? Um, Thank you so much. And huge congratulations on opening, as I said, three weeks. But why Dubai? Why did we feel like Dubai needed Signor Sassi? I mean, Dubai right now is uh, the new center of the world, like where all the top brands uh, are. And uh, definitely Singor Sassi was missing a good, authentic Italian restaurant. So iconic from London. So it was definitely the time to bring the brand down here. How, did, how have you changed the menu or have you not? Because Dubai dining, I mean, I'm thinking about 
well, apparently we like a sweeter palate. Our seasonality is different. You know, we're sitting outside now and the rest of the world is going indoors. How have you had to make some adjustments for the clientele? Oh, we had to definitely had to make some changes, like uh, adapt to the palate of uh, the GCC uh, taste. You know, we make things a bit more sweeter. We give more spiciness to the dishes. Uh, we refresh a little bit. Definitely we didn't change the iconic dishes, you know. It's like our lobster pasta. We definitely cannot change it. You know, it's so beautiful as it is. And uh, all palates love it. What about the decor? Because I haven't been yet. I've seen some photos and it looks like Instagram bliss. Tell, can you walk us through the space, Damiano? What, uh, the, what's it like the, inside? The space is beautiful. Like It's uh, so classic. Uh, uh, it, it takes you to Lake Como uh, designs like from the lakes. And uh, it's so fresh and warm at the same time. I know it's, para- it's paradox, it has their contrast. But, you know, you walk through the bar, you have this nice ambience from the 30s, uh, which uh, gives you this warm. And then you have the greenery in the dining room, which uh, truly takes you into Italy. It's uh, fantastic. We spend so much energy to make a nice design. From and again, I've only looked at the photos so far, but I find that sometimes there's restaurants that look great in the evening. And then there's sometimes there's restaurants that seem to be more daytime. This looks to me like one that would work at both times of day. Does that it will make do, sense? It will do, it will do. You're absolutely right. We are going to open the terrace uh, next week. Uh, if the weather, uh, it will allow us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it will, it will. That's po- positive mental attitude. It, it will be a beautiful garden, uh, definitely lunchtime space. And the evening is already great as it is with a nice warm light. It's I'm a place to be. I'm looking your, at your menu right now. Nick's message saying, why haven't you got prices on your Dubai menu online? Interesting is, uh, question. Uh, it depends, like, even for the quality of the... Uh, to keep the quality, you know, we take fresh ingredients... So they change literally on a daily basis. It depends mm-hmm. what the market offers, especially when it comes to fish, uh, to guarantee the quality is fresh. So we had to adjust prices on a daily basis. Who do you have in mind when it comes to diners at Signor Sassi? Is it going to be those, you know, romantic dinners, those business deals? Is there more of a party vibe, Damiano? Uh, it's literally a space for uh, everyone, from the food lovers, uh, celebrities, uh, people who has to close a deal. Uh, it... Truly, like in London, we take uh, all the demographic, all the clientele from young and uh, be slightly older people. Uh, it's great, like, especially food lovers, you know, they don't have age. It's World Pasta Day next week, Damiana. Now, I, I know you obviously have access to some of the best in the kitchens at the restaurant, but how are you cooking at home? Yeah, oh, you see, pasta, it takes its time to be cooked. Okay. You know, we have to be patient when you cook pasta, you know. I, I had a little look about crimes against pasta and I wanted you to tell me just how bad they are. Okay, Uh, are you ready? I have been known, don't look at me that way, to snap spaghetti to put it into the pan. Oh no. Oh no, okay, okay. Maisie's not happy with me. Terrible. What what about, and we see it quite a lot unfortunately, cream in carbonara sauce. Does cream belong in carbonara? This carbonara sauce is a phenomenon. Again, it needs lots of love and lots of patience to be, to be made. But no cream? No cream, no double cream. <laughs> it's only eggs. What about boiling your pasta? So putting pasta into cold water. 
and uh, then boiling it. That's such a crime. <laughs> oh, a message from Rory saying, I don't think he'd approve of, of the ketchup I put on my lasagna. <laughs> no. We should taste it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very generous of you. So what about pasta on the menu then? What are some of your favourites and some of the favourites at Signor Sassi with the diners right now? Oh, we have a massive selection of sort of pastas. You know, as Italian restaurant, we must. And uh, people love uh, our spaghetti lobster, which is a signature dish. Uh, Carbonara as well is one of those uh, loved uh, pastas <laughs> worldwide, I would I'm, say. I'm looking at the menu. Oh, my gosh. You know, the, it the looks spaghetti. incredible, but lemon <laughs> yeah. sauce and caviar, seasonal truffle, beef cheeks as well. Yeah, this is, this is real beautiful comfort food. It's an ex mixture. It's like when when you come, like you you become undecided. You don't know anymore what you want. Okay, so here's my question because we have only, we've only got a couple of minutes left. If we're going to come to Senor Sassi this weekend, and I'm going to put you in charge of ordering my meal, okay? And for everyone listening today, what are some of the absolute cannot miss dishes on the menu so you can leave and say? I might not have been sitting next to Lionel Richie Rihanna, but I had the <laughs> Signor Sassi experience. Oh, you, you must have the Siba Scarpaccio, which can made uh, with the avocado and these sweet onions, which is unique in his uh, gender. And then a nice artichoke salad to keep yourself light and give some space for some pasta. Good. Okay. <laughs> and then are we having lobster pasta? or do you? Have- I mean, definitely the lobster pasta. But uh, on top of this, I would go for the maltagliati beef ragù. Uh, which is phenomenal, uh, very slow cooked. It takes like 24 hours to be made, the sauce. But it's so much worth it to waste so long time okay. to taste it. Do we have any space for dessert? Uh, indeed. <laughs> you know, we have this beautiful ice cream uh, made with pistachio ice cream, which is uh, made with you know, all Italian products. Uh, pistachios from Bronte, Sicily. Uh, again, it brings you every time to Italy, <laughs> every bite. Where did you grow up, Damiano? Uh, I grew up in Pescara, nothing famous, just opposite side of Rome. And, uh, and soon, uh, when I was a teenager, then I moved to London. It's where I started my restaurateur uh, career. I love that you haven't lost the accent. That would have been a real shame to have a name such uh, as I yours. I will never lose my <laughs> good, accent. <laughs> good man. Now, we heard earlier about uh, Italian saying goodbye as pasta la vista. This is not... Can you teach us a couple of Italian phrases today? Arrivederci. Oh, good. Thank you so much. It's, Thank you. It's really, really fantastic. to. I think Dubai's dining scene is feeling so vibrant. And I think to me, it's really important to have these mixtures of, you know, brands and famed places coming and recognising that Dubai is on that world map globally, but also to have some homegrown heroes. And I think where you are there on the rooftop, um, Nikhil Moore, you've got Shea Wham next to you. And it was a really great example of some of these brands that are unique to Dubai. And then you guys, you know, really kind of putting your name to the city as well. So thank you. Thank you. You've made me hungry. I had soup for my lunch and it was <laughs> you not should come enough. For lunch. <laughs> I'll be there. I wish I could be there at half past five, but I promise I will because you've really inspired me today. Demiana. Waiting for you. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Joining us on the line now is Giovanni Ledon, Akira Back's head chef, ahead of that Michelin-starred restaurant's vegan zero-waste dinner. Chef, how are you? I'm doing great, Helen. How are you? I'm really well, except you've got a bit of a tough job for you this afternoon because I'm not vegan, <laughs> far from oh, it no to, to be honest and I just I need you to get me excited about this because I love the idea 
of saving on food wastage. I love the idea of us coming together. I need you to convince me this is going to be delicious, chef. So before we talk about what's on the menu and what, what we've been working on, tell us a little bit about you, your, your background, and I guess where your kind of passion for sustainability has come from. So I'm a chef. I was uh, born and raised in Las Vegas in the United States, um, come from a Cuban background, and found my way through working in the casinos and the steakhouses and Southwestern cuisine with Bobby Flay, and then later on working with Chef Akira, which was um, one of my dreams to mm-hmm. learn Japanese cuisine. And um, throughout the way, I think sustainability kind of was became very personal to me um, about eight to nine years ago, just to start thinking about um kind of more plant when I started learning more about plant-based uh, plant-based lifestyle of course sustainability comes into it at a certain point and um, the more I research and then moving to the to the um, to the region I think a lot of push towards sustainability is happening here now which is beautiful mm-hmm. and um, I mean I think it's great the what I like to say and what I like to think is the closer the product is to you the the tastier it will be I like so this. um yeah, it's inter- it is interesting because obviously this is a, a bigger UAE-wide goal of sustainability, and of course, COP twenty-eight coming. And you know, I, I'm actually really grateful we're having more and more conversations because so much can be done by us as individuals. And I think anyone who thinks that they can't make a difference as an individual is, you know, kidding themselves. That's absolutely not the case. But also the responsibility that lies with, you know with hotels, with individual chefs or restaurateurs. Um, and it's interesting to think about how it can lend itself to different cuisines as well. For anyone that hasn't been to Akira back there at W on the Palm, what's it normally best known for food-wise, chef? What, what are some of those standout dishes that, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, tuna pizza, for example. What, what, what are some of the big hitters? Yeah, so definitely tuna pizza is one of our um, signature dishes. Um, also, like one of my other favorite dishes I like to serve everybody is a scallop on the half shell which is a Hokkaido scallop from Japan. It has a kimchi butter sauce on top, some crispy shallots and Parmesan cheese. Mm-hmm. Kind of a mix and match of everything. Um, but it's amazing. really kind of a nostalgic flavor. It kind of reminds me of like old dishes like from like 80s and 90s, like Oyster Rockefeller and like Clamps Casino and things mm-hmm. like that, but with a new twist. Um, also, probably my favorite roll on the menu, to be honest, there's a, we make a vegan spider roll. So I created this roll because... I know a lot of people like the soft shell crab roll, right? Like we're talking about sushi. You want this like fried kind of saucy um, sushi roll sometimes. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? The plant-based people are missing out on that. So I use um, enoki mushroom and tempered it. And so it kind of looks like little claws coming out at the end. And it gives you that crunch and that meatiness. And I made a roll with it. And to be honest, it's probably one of our best-selling rolls now. I think another big shift that we've seen recently is a move away from purely vegan restaurants and you know we've actually seen a number of those closing because we want people to go out to dinner and to be a kind of inclusive experience so to, to look, be able to look at a menu and exactly as you say there for me who's a pretty committed meat eater to say actually that sounds delicious and to be able to have this mix and match approach um so for you guys to then take it to the next step and you know sushi we think we do think you know obviously fish so to go vegan and to go zero waste tell us a little bit about some of the what starts that starts at the sourcing um everything that we need to know about what's been going on behind the scenes let's start with collaborations you know farmers and ingredients and then we can talk techniques what how where did it begin for you on the sourcing front okay so um it was really important to me to to try to do something local and i wanted to go as local as possible so what better to do and i love mushrooms to be honest so 
I saw this beautiful video from um, Bello Farms. Um, Bronte's the, the owner of the farm, and uh, there was this beautiful time lapse of a pink oyster mushroom. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then when I found out it was so close in Abu Dhabi, I had to reach out to them. And um, they've been such a help. They're growing mushrooms, and they're trying to be as sustainable as possible. They actually use um, a substrate um, from the leftover date palm fronds. So a waste product from the date palm, they use that to grow the mushrooms in. Wow. So uh, it all comes so I thought together. It would be a great, yeah, so I thought it would be a great match. Um, and it would just be, I think a lot of people don't look at mushrooms that way. So I, I think it would be a good challenge and a fun experience for everybody. So tell us then about, I mean, the thing about food waste is it, there's so many different stages where it happens, you know. And some of those things you've got no control over, whether it is, you know, on the farm or storage or, you know, or, or getting, you know, food being rejected for not being so-called restaurant quality. But what you do have control over, as you, as you say, is, is what you're bringing into the kitchen and, and then what you do with it. And, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law worked um, at the St. John in London with Fergus Henderson, who's known for this nose to tail cooking. And this is about, you know, offal and using every part of that animal. And this is a vegan dinner, so we're not looking there at those kind of lesser used cuts. But I guess it's a case of using produce in, a, in different, more creative ways. What have you been innovating to make sure that there is really nothing going in the bin, Chef? So a, a lot of, I mean, we're lucky to work in a kind of a Japanese-based uh, restaurant where we don't waste very much, to be honest, to start with. But um, even, you know, for our tacos that we use for dinner, we, we cut them out with a ring cutter. So with the scrap left over from the outside, actually, I just added another dish to the menu. I haven't told anybody. But we're, we're reconstituting that scrap from the gyoza wrapper and we're turning it into noodles. So we'll do a little soup to start, kind of an amuse-bouche to start at the beginning of the meal. We're also using, um, we use a nice little cutter to cut out these really cute uh, Japanese momiji leaf um, pears for one of our dishes. But the rest of it, you know, sometimes goes to waste. So I'm using that in um, one of the dishes, which is a uh, pink oyster mushroom ceviche. Oh, that sounds good. Um, what about, um, I guess, the bottom line? You know, when we're thinking about head chefs, executive chefs, it's about sometimes, unfortunately, the Excel spreadsheet as much as it is about what's happening in the kitchen. Well, if, if some of these techniques were going to be adopted by other kitchens, other hotels around the world, do you think that that financial motivation could be quite compelling as well? I think, yeah, definitely, especially with the, with the cost of goods going up so much in the last year, one to two years. Um, it's always good to look look at it and try to see how you can not just use kind of waste, uh, but use it in a smart way and in an innovative way. Of course, it's, it's great for the pocketbook as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess we've had a couple of people going, when? Which we haven't touched on. So Chef Giovanni, when, when is your zero waste vegan dinner going to be happening at Akira Back? So it'll be November 1st and uh, hopefully the weather's going to be beautiful. We'll be doing it on our terrace with uh, beautiful views of the whole city. And lastly, a question from me for people cooking over the weekend are there any techniques that perhaps we could be learning from you the professional um to make sure that our money's going a bit further when when we're shopping and planning and preparing food at home what could we be all trying perhaps so what really like works for me and my family is we try to to buy our grains and everything in bulk and then for vegetables and everything we order often so we usually order from kipsons um and we pretty much ordering every couple of days to make sure that we're not throwing anything away in the house as far as um, fruits and vegetables or things that spoil quickly. 
We started composting during COVID. You know how people started these kind of... I was pickling a lot. We started composting. I was working out at home for the first time and what has turned out to be the last time. Um, The composting, though, has continued. Um, And it's really, really surprised me, to be honest, just how much goes in there. Um, and it's just, we have like a big mason jar on the counter and, you know, every couple of days or whenever it gets full, it goes into the compost in the garage. And it, it's obviously great in terms of putting stuff on the garden. You know, that's the, a lovely kind of nice bonus and byproduct. But it's also been really interesting for raising awareness about just how much we are throwing out. And it's definitely made us more conscious of it. Um, and I would urge everyone to, to maybe just tune into it a little bit more because... Yeah, we can all be doing our bit. Um, would it be okay to share the website, um, Chef? I know bookings are filling up really, really fast. Um, but if you've got a few tables left, if anyone wants to get in touch, I don't know, and say the word vegan on 4001, can I send the Akira back to buy website to them? Yes, please, please. Okay, brilliant. Chef, I'm letting you back to the kitchen. I know it's Friday. I know, I know you're busy as ever. Um, have a fantastic time um, there on... Uh, well, it's, it's all going to be happening. We've got just about 10 more days. Uh, 1st of November, 7 o'clock, the Vegan Zero Waste Dinner at Akira Back Mission Star Restaurant right here in the UAE. Chef Giovanni, have a wonderful weekend ahead and have a great time preparing for what sounds like a really, really special night with a serious cause at the heart of it. Sustainable Elegance is Vegan Zero Waste Dinner in honour of World Vegan Day. One night only, six-course menu, plant-based, obviously, including, as Chef was just talking about there, those locally sourced mushrooms. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're celebrating 15 years of the first and finest camel milk chocolate. Patrick Duray from Al Nathema with us today. Camel milk chocolate. Don't take this the wrong way. Better than I expected and actually delicious. How are you, Patrick? I'm fine, thanks. It's lovely to be here. Happy birthday. Thank you. 15 years of, I mean, camels we know have such an important you know, purpose and such an emblem of the UAE. And your chocolate has become, well, to, to my parents, absolutely cannot go back to the UK without some in the suitcase. And, you know, just a part of the kind of the fabric here. Can you tell us a little bit about the creation, the origin story of camel milk chocolate? Where did it all begin? It began 15 years ago when we found out that the government of Dubai was opening a modern camel dairy, um, which is the basis for, uh, for, the, for the milk, for the, the camel milk that we get. Um, Dubai is, um, it brings people together. Uh, Dubai, the spirit of Dubai, brings people from all walks of life, all kinds of geographies. And so um, we, with the chocolate background, um, benefited from this camel farm, this, this uh, camelicious farm, as it, as it were, um, and started working in two th- as early as 2004 on recipes. Um, and it took, uh, it took a few years, took four years to get it right. Uh, so we launched. Right. It took how long? Four years. Four years. To get the recipes right, yeah. That's because like proper Willy Wonka stuff. Uh, camel milk has got half as much fat compared to cow's milk. So what difference does that make in terms of processes and things that you do need or indeed don't need to for, you know, mouthfeel and flavour and everything? Well, this is it, exactly. It's the mouthfeel. So our chocolate, when you taste it, you don't have this um, this milk fat um, that stays in your in, in your palate and it's, it's a bit different. And the camel milk is inherently a bit salty mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you have a different profile that you have to work with and you have to work that into the cocoa bean as well. So we're not really into the cocoa bean the same way that other chocolatiers would be that would say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, um, I get my bean 
from Dominican Republic, from this and this uh, mountain and the sun on this exposure and whatever, mm-hmm. whatnot. That's their story. Our story is the milk. Our USP is the camel milk. So thinking about that flavor and actually... Even I, I remember when I my, when my babies were really little, a lot of people talking about how beneficial camel milk is for little ones in terms of those um, protein molecules as well being being different and actually very close to human milk as well. So when it comes to, I guess, what you've done with it, tell us a little bit about what's in the range right now, Patrick, because I think of you guys as being those gorgeous little camel shaped chocolates, but it's not just that. No, it's not just that. If I can uh, spend a few words on uh, on the camel milk, you're right. It is the closest to mother's milk. Um, there are no known allergies to camel's milk. So it's not lactose-free. There's just as much lactose as in normal chocolate. Uh, but the protein structure is different. Uh, and people who, um, I'm just a chocolate salesman, so you'd have to talk to people with much thicker uh, spectacles than we have uh, that could explain that process behind that. But uh, it is it is the closest to mother's milk. Half as much fat, three to five times more vitamin C. Um, no known allergies, as I said. So it's uh, it's a great milk to work with. So we're saying it's a health food. It's a super. <laughs> it's a superfood. It is a super. You Good. can you can Google it. Camel milk is a superfood, and um, the cocoa bean, uh, the, the the nib of the cocoa bean is also superfood. So it's a, it's a healthy indulgent uh, product. Um, we have a range of bars. We have a range of gift items. I brought a bag here for you to share. Oh, but yeah, I'm lucky old Dubai eye. We've got we've got some. I just had a little a little nib there of. Camel milk with hazelnuts, and it was absolutely packed with ingredients. So no, nothing held back there. It wasn't a kind of a token slither of a hazelnut. Absolutely packed. Yes, and in fact, when we're in the factory, we sometimes go by and tell the lads to put more more uh, hazelnuts into the product because, to be frank, the price of the hazelnut or the price of cocoa doesn't really matter to us because the camel milk is so expensive. Oh, uh, camels only give about six, seven liters of milk on average. Uh, dairy cattle will give uh, 40, 50, some are bred up to 70, 80 litres a day. But then there's no nutritional value at all. So can I ask then about where you are in the world? You know, we do have you here, of course, in the supermarkets. Um, I'm sure the airport, is, as, a, as Barbara and David Spearman will tell you, that's why they, that's why they get those, theirs on the way back to Newcastle. What about internationally? And, and what's the reception been like globally to camel milk chocolate? <laughs> so first of all, if I can say a thanks to Dubai Duty Free for believing this 15 years ago, because without them, without their support, we wouldn't be here today. Uh, but that has branched out, and we are in um, 18 airports now um, from from Morocco with uh, our partner Dufri um, in Sharjah. Dufri is in Sharjah as well. In, we're in Kuwait, we're in Jordan, we're in Egypt, um, uh, Morocco, uh, the whole GCC. Um, we're opening up now in Abu Dhabi with Lagadere Travel Retail and with Al Jaber. Uh, so we'll have um, our camels uh, on offer at the airport in Abu Dhabi, the our new camels. one that's opening that's opening November 1st. Yes, because we have our camel displays. He must have seen our iconic camel displays. There's about 30 of them now in the different airports worldwide. So internationally, Japan was in 2009 our first export market. And I'd say why, that... Why Japan? Japan. The, our biggest customer are the Chinese, uh, 14% of our sales, and, and a third of our sales go to um, the four countries that are Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and, and China. And I think it has to do with the gifting culture mm-hmm. in that part of the world, and also the, um, the, the, the level of uh, wanting to experience new things and to taste new profiles. Well, we've seen that out, I mean, whenever I've had friends and colleagues, you know, going to Japan and coming back with, you know, your matcha flavoured Kit Kats. And some Correct. Of it, some of it is for, is for novelty. It is, you know, for Instagram. But I think the point of difference with you guys is obviously the taste. You know, that's, that's, it's not just about that novelty factor. It's 
you're talking like four years of research going into it. And we're still here 15 years on right. because a lot of people launch things and it's a fad. Um, but this thing, you know, our, our chocolate has legs, our camels have legs, <laughs> four, of them, four of them in fact. And, and if you can make it in Japan, um, you can make it anywhere, I'd like to say, because uh, in Japan, the packaging has to be perfect. The product has to be perfect. I mean, you can't, you can't have any mistakes. So since then, we're also selling in, um, in major department stores like the KDV in Berlin, uh, Gallery Gourmand in Paris. We're in mm-hmm. Julius Meinl and Graben in Vienna. Uh, we have an online retailer in the States. We're in a specialty, food, a special, specialty chocolate shop, sorry, uh, Jack Epstein in San Francisco. The man has only the finest chocolates, um, and he's selling our bars for something like 10 to 12 US dollars for 70 grams. Gosh. And so when 15 years on, you're still selling 70 grams of chocolate for $10, you clearly must be doing something right. And in terms of popularity, I mean, some of the bars you've brought in is the kind of bar of chocolate I would have in my fridge, you know, and have a little break off a piece every Don't night. Don't put it in your fridge. Oh, that's interesting, really. That's the worst thing. Don't say that. Yeah, why, 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 don't you just, why don't you put it beside the eggs and the and the garlic? Uh, you, you should not put the chocolate in the, in the fridge. What? But, but, chocolate should be at room temperature. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. 18 to 24 degrees is the best way to keep the chocolate. So you know, you know how some chocolate, you know how there's some chocolates, you open them up and there's like um, white, white spots. Yeah. yeah, that's called fat blooming, and that's the 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 cocoa butter that, or the vegetable fat, if it's a cheap chocolate, that has risen to the surface. And when it cools down, it can't migrate back into the chocolate. So it makes this fat blooming, we call that. But that's uh, uh, purely a visual problem. The chocolate is not bad. It has not gone bad. Chocolate's perfect. Um, It's just not visually appealing. And so what you want to do is you want to make sure that you keep the chocolate at room temperature. You don't subject it to, um, you know, differences in, 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 in temperature. Well, every day's a school day, Patrick. Um, where okay, I'm now just like scanning the cupboards in my kitchen, going, where could I put it so that the kids won't be able to find it? Eat it and buy some more. <laughs> my point was there is chocolate. I would, and I don't want to say everyday chocolate, but you know stuff that you would have in your home. But then you've also got these really elaborate kind of, as you're saying, kind of gifting opportunities. You know, wooden boxes with a single camel in there, camel chocolate. Um, I know, I know. Obviously, with your with your sales pedigree, you, you'll have all of the numbers. I'm not asking for that. But what is the most popular in the range? You know, what's really resonating with customers? Um, I think the uh, the milk, the whole milk bar, because that's the essence. Uh, we we call it sort of like the naked truth, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, to, to borrow something from Jamie Oliver. Um, uh, but also the the nine piece gift box, uh, which is um, hosting an assortment of different uh, different flavored pralines, um, and um, the camel. The, the, the iconic golden hollow-shaped camel. So what's next? 15 years now of al What's what does the future hold, do you think? Uh, the future holds more more room for camel, uh, definitely more room for, for developing the, 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 the camel milk chocolate. Uh, we have Samha, which is the Choco Day brand that we launched uh, during COVID, which is uh, rapidly developing. Um, and that offers a lot of opportunities as well for, for camel milk chocolate enrobed products. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope enrobed. you'll taste some. Enrobed. Enrobed. That's a good, that's a good food word. So dates enrobed in, in camel, camel milk, milk chocolate. chocolate. It's I'm very available. indulgent. I'm a, very indulgent. <laughs> and if I could say one word about our recipes, uh, our core recipe only has five ingredients, the whole milk bar. So it's got the cocoa butter and mass. Um, it's got the, the camel milk powder, obviously. We have a bit of acacia honey because it doesn't crystallize. We have real bourbon uh, vanilla, Madagascar bourbon vanilla. And uh, yeah, there's a bit of sugar in it, like as in all, as in all uh, milk chocolates. Um, but we don't do vegetable fat. We don't do soy lecithin. We don't do 
palm oil. There's a lot of things we don't do. And we don't need to do them because um, if you look at our factory, um, in fact, apart from the, the machines, 90% of what we, the machines that make the chocolate mass, the milk, the dark, and the, and the white chocolate mass, the rest is all handmade. Wow. The, the, the pralines are hand-filled. The chocolate bars are made by hand, molded by hand. Again, that's why I was saying when we go by in the factory and we say, just, you know, throw, chuck a few more hazelnuts in it. They can't do it. that. They can't they can do that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We're, we're, our oldest machine is from 1930. It's a dosing machine to make the hollow camels. We have a 1962 uh, Otto Hensel from Germany uh, packaging machine that wraps the bars. It's, it's like a Jaguar E-type. Um, and of course, then we have the most modern conch, uh, a dry conch uh, from Netsch from the south of Bavaria uh, from, from Germany. They're, they're mostly German machines that it's we have. It's a whole new world. Camel milk chocolate, German machines and a Canadian sitting in front of me. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick, so, so much. For anyone that does want to get hold of that camel milk chocolate from Al Nasma, we're talking about stores here in the UAE, Waitrose, of course. Grab it on your on your way home. I think for me, it's that it's that souvenir piece. But I have to say, I enjoy it very much. So thank you. Thank for you for your having hard us. Work and your passion. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye one hundred three point eight with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We're sorting you out for the weekend and beyond. Now we're taking a trip to deepest darkest Peru, which. Um, I know it's well known for marmalade sandwiches, but we're kind of elevating the cuisine now with Chef Mark from Coya. How are you, Chef? I'm good, Telen. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, except I'm very worried you're going to make me hungry. And for my lunch today, I had some soup, which I need to learn from the past because whenever I speak to chefs on a Friday afternoon, I end up craving the most incredible food and... I'm worried that you're going to make us all very hungry today. Um, how long have you been with Koya for? Tell us a little bit about your, your background as a chef. Uh, I mean, I've been with Koya from the beginning, uh, since 2014 when they opened in Dubai. Uh, before that, I was with, I started my career in Dubai with La Petite Maison and some others. There's, there was a lot of other restaurants throughout the line. Mm-hmm. But uh, 2014, when Koya opened in Dubai, I was there from the pre-opening and I've been there since. And very much ahead of the curve when we think about the trends that we've seen here in Dubai on the food front, you know, Peruvian being huge, we've seen Greek, but Koya has really stood the test of time. Why do you think that is? What's the, what's the secret sauce to the success, do you think? I mean, Koya was the first one to bring uh, Peruvian cuisine to, I would say, in, I would say in London, in Dubai, uh, to most part of the world, I, I'm, I'm, I think, yes. Uh, and for me, the main reason why Koya has stood the test of time is basically because of the uh, uh, quality and consistency. Mm-hmm. We always strive for quality and consistency at Koya. We're always trying to make sure that we are ahead of the curve with all the products and with everything that we get into the uh, get into our restaurant. It's always the top quality of products. That's the way it's, it's always been for us. So tell us a little bit about Peruvian cuisine, because it's, it's, I find it quite hard to pin down to explain. Would you mind sharing, I guess, maybe, maybe it's a case of signature dishes, but maybe it's a case of talking about Peruvian cuisine as a whole, Chef, whether we're talking about flavour profile, about geography. What does a complete beginner to the cuisine need to know? I mean, as, as, a, as a cuisine, Peru has, a, has very diverse cuisine. Uh, diversity not only because of the landscape but also because of the culture 
Like they've had they've had quite a bit of cultural diversity in the 1800s. You've had the Spanish coming along. You've had the the Chinese the migrants. You've had the uh, Japanese migrants. So you see the you see a Jap you see a Spanish influence. You see Chinese influence. You see the Japanese influence. Currently, what you see is that you see the more people picking up on the Japanese influence. That's mm -hmm. the Nikkei cuisine. Okay, that's what's generally going on. And when when you say like a bit with the geographical diversity that you see above of peru you've got uh, they've got you've got the sea you've got the mountains you they've got a variety of produce that you do not do not see anywhere else in the world um they've got plenty of potatoes different kinds of fishes <laughs> and it's it's really it's a vast amount of things that you do not see anywhere else uh when it comes to dishes but what we know in like what the entire world generally focuses on and signatures is mainly the ceviches and the anticuchos mm -hmm. uh which which everyone would know uh which is very similar like the ceviches are very very simple yet once you you put some you put some techniques on the japanese side you can be they can be very they can be very precise have very nice flavors very it can be very diverse uh anticuchos like you said from you have they have they are very strong in flavors. Peruvian cuisine is very strong in flavors, but like I said, once once you have you have some influence from the Japanese and the Chinese, you have you have you have a balance between all of these things. So I find it find it interesting that we can actually you can actually get all these flavors together in one cuisine. And, and, uh, it, and really, it works, you know. This is this is what's so interesting. You think about all these influences, and it sounds like it shouldn't work, but my goodness, it, it really does. And we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I wanted to ask you about what you're working on right now, because we've got some, you know, it's, it's event season. There's a lot happening um, between now and New Year, and I understand you're doing something for Halloween. Is that right? Oh yes, we, we actually we have the Halloween brunch, which is on the 28th, which. Uh, which kindly is uh, the Alice in Wonderland theme. We've got a couple of specials going on. We've got oysters and we've got other stuff, new the, a language scene tartar going on. There's quite a bit going on. We also have the festive menu, which is coming in for Christmas. Oh, don't uh, there's say quite that. a bit going on. We can't, talk, we can't say that until after Halloween. And then even then I'm like, I'm not going to put my tree up until after National Day. So for right now, Halloween, I mean, brunch at your place is always just an absolute party i've had some brilliant brilliant afternoons and thank you so so much for keeping the good energy keeping the amazing food going last question to you chef mark of joining us from queer if we can if we're going to come tonight what's the one dish that you're really proud to be serving up right now what's your what's your current favorite my current favorite currently is at lobster teredito we just put it on the menu it's something just new and i don't think i've seen it uh, uh, like it's not something you'd see in dubai a lot Okay, it's uh, something very new. I think uh, everyone should come and try it at uh, Koya. Uh, and one of the signature dishes that you would love to try is the yellowtail peridito. Uh, I'm very much, what do you say, uh, inclined towards cold dishes. Mm -hmm. I like really, I really like all the ceviches and periditos being part of Koya. Uh, so yeah, for me, mostly all the cold dishes were amazing to try. Thank you so much for tearing yourself away from the kitchens on a Friday afternoon. Get back in there. I know you've got a busy service tonight. And uh, thank you so, so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Speaking to us from Koya there, Head Chef Mark Thun. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. 
Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.